Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. If you're somebody that is just not living your best life, you're just feeling kind of tired, and life is just not the way it's supposed to be, are you sure you're getting the right nutrition? Are you sure that there's not something else going on within your stomach? That was me. And then I started figuring it out, putting the pieces together, and then I realized I had an ulcer and some other issues. And I wish I knew her when I was going through those challenges, but those challenges usually never completely go away. Uh, but she's somebody that helps people all the time as a registered dietitian and owner of Luxford Nutrition. Emily Luxford is on the program with us. Welcome. How are you doing, Emily? I'm great. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here and talk about uh, the power of food. Ah, you know what? The power of food and was it um, Socrates? I'm trying to th remember who said that food. Socrates. Food, food is medicine? Food is medicine, yes. Yeah. And it's very true. We forget about that. We like to uh, use a pill instead, which, you know, pharmaceuticals are very helpful, but we often forget that the best medicine is what we eat and put in our bodies every day. And how interesting is it, Emily, that a lot of times we'll grab a pill to take care of something, but if we change the way we were eating, we probably wouldn't need it. Exactly. I mean, I think that that's where we probably do ourselves a disservice is we don't take the time to look at how we're eating and or ask the questions, what can we do in our diet to help us feel better on a day-to-day -day basis? And that's where registered dietitians come in because we are the food experts. And so we can help you navigate how you eat to prevent disease, but also to help you feel better if you have been diagnosed with a disease or if you just want to feel good on a day-to-day -day basis and know how best to feed yourself so that you can achieve your goals. When you work with people, do you find that it comes back to food? Most of the, the challenges that we have, a lot of the challenges? Mm -hmm. I think we often make it uh, probably more complicated than we need it to be. And sometimes after sessions with me, people will say, gosh, I thought this was going to be so much harder. And it doesn't have to be. It can be easily implemented in your day-to-day -day routine. And it can be something that you work on over time, you know, one goal at a time. But at the end of the day, it's really just getting back to basics to make sure that you're giving your body what it needs to function. Let's say you're having some challenges, stomach challenges, digestive challenges, maybe not officially diagnosed with something. When you change your diet, everybody's different. I got that. Every, literally, every body is different. <laughs> yes. But how long does it take to see some, some obvious or measurable results when you, you change up your diet? people can maybe see a glimmer of change in the first couple of weeks, but for probably more significant results, since it is a diet intervention, it typically takes about three months for people to see a significant change and improvement in their day-to-day -day quality of life. And when you work with somebody, do you find things that they like to eat? For example, I just don't eat seafood. Oh, I, you know, I'll have some I hate to say the word fried calamari, uh, <laughs> very rarely, and I only just started eating that about two years ago. Aside from that, I really don't eat seafood, so you know I'd have to take that out of my diet for the moment. Do you find things that people like to eat when you uh, come up with a nutrition plan? Yeah, actually, that's one of the first questions that I ask people is, what do they like to eat and what do they not like to eat? What are their food preferences? And then we take that information and we come up with a plan that's tailored to meet your needs. I think that as dietitians, we can be guilty of this, but many times we focus on the negative, what we can't have. And in my practice, what I like to do is talk about what people like, but also focus on what's good for them, what's going to help them, what 
can they have versus saying, okay, these are 20 foods that you can't have, go, good luck, you know, uh, please make those changes and come back and see me in a couple of weeks. Right. So, so we really give you the tools that you need to implement the change uh, with a positive spin on it rather than a negative spin. How about we look at gut health in general? And I, I believe, and this is coming from somebody that, <laughs> that overlooked it, the importance of your stomach, your digestion, all of that. As I came to learn, it's almost as if your stomach has a brain in itself. Mm-hmm. and yeah. it, it communicates with the big brain and all of that's going on all at once. And then you're, you're feeding yourself, not the greatest stuff. What, what do we do? The one thing that's on my radar, leaky gut syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some people like to talk about leaky gut. Some people may not be uh, biggest fans of that terminology, but it basically comes down to this. If you don't have a sound gut, then you don't have a sound foundation to your body because everything that you eat has to go through your intestines to be absorbed and then to um, benefit the other organs and tissues in your body. So if your intestines is absorbing too much, which would be a leaky gut situation, or not absorbing enough, depending upon how you're processing that food, then your whole body systemically is going to have a response. That might present as a GI issue. So some people do have nausea, abdominal pain, bloating, gas, um, diarrhea, you name it. But other people present with migraines or Mm. with skin issues like eczema or rashes. Uh, Some people have joint pain. And we often don't get to the root of those causes. And if we did, we would focus more on the gut. But we don't often. So instead, we focus on the area that's inflamed, whether that's the joint or if it's a migraine. And we try to treat that issue. But if we got back down to the root of it, to the gut, and we really tried to heal up that gut, and the linky gut is kind of these channels that are in our intestine that widen with time. So too much is kind of getting into circulation. If we really treat that intestinal tissue and heal those junctures so that they're more sound, then you're less likely to have leaky gut and you're less likely to have all the systemic problems and symptoms that people struggle with on a day-to-day basis and think that they're normal. When in fact, migraines on a regular basis are not normal. Joint pain is not normal. You know, rashes, eczema all over your body is not normal. And let me tell you, if you've had digestive uh, discomfort over the years, whether it's nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, bloating, gas pain, that's not normal either. So we need to really look at that as a whole and treat the body with food, of course, as a primary kind of strategy. Hmm. I'm intrigued. Like, I, I just want, I want to go on a diet plan with you. <laughs> Let's look at. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, yeah. Here, here's what I eat. Am I good or bad? How about I do this? How about, and by the way, uh, I did mention in the beginning I dealt with an ulcer about, I don't know, I want to say six years ago. It does eventually come back when there's a lot of stress. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I go on Nexium for a few days and then I kind of keep it at bay. Uh, but it's all stress related. There's no doubt about it. Um, mm-hmm. If I were to tell you what I had for breakfast today, could you dissect it or analyze it and tell me good, bad, change it up? Could we try that? Sure, let's do it. But I would tell you that all foods fit. All foods are good. I want you to be eating in the first place. Uh, but we could always talk about how we can make things better sure. for you uh, so that you're feeling your best. Well, my go-to usually, and I usually eat the same thing. You know, maybe I'll change it up every other day, every third day, whatever it might be. Uh, I'll have three or four turkey meatballs, tiny bit of marinara sauce, just a little something on there. I'll spice it up with uh, maybe some garlic. Yes, this is my breakfast. And a light English muffin with a tiny bit of butter and a cup of decaf coffee. And that's usually my breakfast. What would you say? 
my first comment would be, how do you feel after you eat it? I feel pretty good. Uh, I, I feel like I have energy and I feel like it lasts longer than other things I might eat. Mm-hmm. And I would tell you that I'm actually quite impressed that you are eating turkey and garlic and some marinara sauce uh, in the English muffin for breakfast because most people don't think of those foods as breakfast foods, but it's a really good way to start your day by having so much protein in the morning and healthy fats because that's what's going to help you kind of carry you through the day. But the one thing that I think that you're missing here, even though you're getting a little bit of that marinara sauce, are vegetables. Hmm. For breakfast, you're saying, right? Yes. Yeah. Start the day off hmm. with a hearty serving of your favorite vegetable. Wow. So what vegetables do you like? I never even thought of that. How interesting. Okay. Um, Emily, I, I'm good with corn. It could be, um, let's see, peas. I love peas too. Things like that. Would you say throw that into the mix as well? You could. So those are starchier vegetables. Potatoes, corn, and peas are pretty starchy. And you are getting some good starch from your English muffin. So if you wanted to balance that out a little bit, then I would aim for a non-starchy vegetable like greens or if you like peppers, you could add those in. You're already getting tomatoes from the marinara sauce. You don't really need any more tomatoes. What about carrots? Those would have a little bit less of a starch in your preferred. The, the peppers, sauce. you've got me. Emily, you had me at peppers. Mixing, peppers. dicing those up and throwing that in with the uh, the meatballs would be delicious and add a lot of flavor. And my thinking was with the meatballs is that it is lower in fat. It is a protein, which we said is going to last longer than a carb. Mm-hmm. I include the English muffin just so I have a carb and it's kind of like almost like dessert. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it, I, I like it. Um, I could probably get by with just one half of an English muffin. I don't really need both, but um, you know, tiny bit of butter, but yeah, the peppers, I never even thought of that. Wow. Mm-hmm. I think that we, you know, in our society, because we're so diet oriented where we're eliminating a particular food, we think that we need to skip on the carbs or skip on the fats or skip on the proteins, depending upon what phase we're in. Right now, we're kind of in a high-protein, low-carb phase in terms of our marketing and our various diets that are out there. Mm -hmm. But the key is to have a little bit of everything because our body needs a little bit of everything in order to function. So you're getting the protein from your turkey. You're getting fat from your turkey. You're getting some fat from the butter that you put on the English muffin. And then you're getting carbs from your English muffin. So where are we going to get our micronutrients from? We've covered your macronutrients. So you've got your protein, your fat, and uh, your carb. Now we need micronutrients, which are your vitamins and minerals. And your best source of those would be your vegetables or fruits. You're getting a little bit of vitamin C from that marinara sauce, but we could do even better and have some more other vitamins and minerals that are in your peppers. And if you do different colored peppers, a combination of red, orange, yellow, um, then you're going to get even more varied nutrient content by changing up the colors. How interesting. And every once in a while, I get a little lazy and I'll reach for egg bites out of the freezer and throw those in. I like them. Um, I only, don't laugh, I only just started eating eggs like two years ago. Never did before. Uh, But I find they're just loaded with sodium. And that's, it's almost like a turnoff. Like I'm very sodium sensitive. Like, ugh, I don't, why why do you got to put so much in there? Obviously I could make my own, but I'm not the chef. But when you want to reach for something like that, is it really that bad for you? It just depends upon what else you're eating throughout the day. So we do want to have a certain amount of sodium all day long. So if that's going to be where you're sodium heavy, so to speak, 
then I would just make sure that the other meals throughout the day are lighter in sodium to balance out that particular meal. And then I would make sure that you hydrate really well throughout the day too to mm. compensate for that higher amount of sodium in that particular meal. But you could also monitor your sodium content by saying, well, maybe I don't need to have the serving size. Maybe I could do with fewer. Let's say if the serving size is three, maybe you could do two, and you can load up your volume of food by adding some more peppers or other ingredients or other things that you like, an English muffin or whatever it may be, with the egg bite. And with those egg bites, the serving is the entire box. I look at that, I'm like, are you kidding? Yeah, I'm like, are you kidding? So it's like four of them. I'm like, that's not happening. And protein-wise, it's probably about 12 grams, not the greatest. Uh, but again, that's one of those, got to run, got to eat. Let's go to protein right now. What should we be eating? And what you said before that we're, our society is more in the protein direction. I've heard some numbers that are uh, astoundingly high in terms of what your daily intake of uh, protein should be. I'd be curious what, what you say. Well, the biggest issue with our protein-centric diet plans right now is that they're relying on protein from various formulas, whether that's coming in a bar or a pill or like a powder. So they're not actually necessarily recommending whole foods for protein sources. So a lot of these high-protein diets are recommending a supplement shake um, to then meet those high levels. Now, on average, a person should have 0.8 grams per kilogram a day of protein. You don't want to do the math, then you can hire a dietitian and we'll do it for you. But that's kind of the general guideline. Of course, if you're exercising or if you have higher protein needs because of a condition, then we would raise that. And your age may also change that kind of average number. But 0.8 grams per kilogram per day is the recommended amount. With that said, we really want to focus having a variety of protein from whole foods. So whether that's animal protein, like your traditional like eggs, chicken, turkey, beef, pork, fish, or think of plant-based proteins as well. There's things like beans, lentils. Um, you could even do like tofu or tempeh for a protein source. Mm -hmm. And my favorite, chia seeds, which most people don't think about. They typically go to the almonds or other nuts or seeds. But chia seeds is really a great powerhouse ingredient mm. when it comes to protein. Oh, yeah. And they also have omega-3, which is huge. They do, yes. And if you're not a big fish eater... And that's another good source of omega-3 besides walnuts that you could incorporate into your diet. So I had a smoothie today. I ran home, had to pick up my daughter from school, drop her off. I'm like, all right, you know what? I'll, I'll do a smoothie real quick. Here was my smoothie. And I'm, again, we're analyzing here just to, and, and that even started to talk about protein. My smoothie was a protein powder. Okay. Some ice, almond milk. I put in some strawberries. Uh, and I put in some peanut butter, and then I, I mix the whole thing up. I think it's good in terms of the amount of protein. It was probably maybe like 25 grams of protein there. You got some carbs. You got the other stuff going on, like the fruit and everything. Got to tell you, it doesn't last long. Like, I get hungry quick quicker than other stuff, but I would think it would be bulkier, um, but but not so much. I guess I had that like 12 o'clock today. Um, call it 1230. Um and that was, it, it's 4.30 almost now, East Coast time. I'm getting hungry again. <laughs> it didn't really last that yeah. long. I'm actually impressed that it lasted that long because most people that I talk to, they complain about smoothies. You know, they last maybe for an hour to two hours. And so your protein powder with the peanut butter might be helping you 
uh, maintain you know, a satiety or fullness factor for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. But I look at that recipe and I think, okay, where are your vegetables? Because ideally, when you make a smoothie, you want a two-to-one ratio of vegetables to fruit. Oh, didn't even think of that. Um, I just think fruit's okay. Fruit's the same thing as vegetables. It's fiber. It's okay. I'm wrong, right? Well, it's similar in many of its like fiber content and some of the vitamins and minerals. But if we're looking at a sugar content, then it would be good to also incorporate some of those antioxidants from vegetables without getting all the sugar that you do get from fruit. And by all means, this sugar that's in fruit is nothing like the sugar that you were getting in processed foods or in high fructose corn syrup. So I don't want anyone to think that they're the same. They're very different. But once again, it's all about balance. And so that's where I would add in some greens or some other veggies to balance out your protein powder. It won't ruin the flavor because you're still going to have the sweetness from the strawberries, that richness and thickness from the uh, peanut butter. And you can even increase the peanut butter or add in some other types of seeds and see if that helps create a longer satiety factor so that you don't feel hungry three hours later. Hmm. Uh, But that's just kind of the nature of when you're drinking anything that's almost like pre-digested for you. If you don't have to chew it up and your body doesn't have to churn it in the stomach and then the acids in the intestine don't have to break it down as much, it's going to go through you faster, which is going to make you hungrier sooner. Uh, True or false, eating or drinking a smoothie is not as good as eating the actual whatever you put in there uh, in its regular form. It changes when you mix it up. Is that right or no? I would I would say true that if you're better off eating the fruit or eating the individual ingredients than drinking it. Okay. And why is that? I have an idea, but why is that? Well, we have teeth for a reason, right? So everything in our body is there for a reason. We're meant to chew things up and break it down. We also have enzymes and acid in our body for a reason hmm. to break the food down. And as those enzymes interact with that food and they're breaking it down, it's going to help with the absorption of those nutrients, and they're all going to work together. Same kind of concept if you take a pill that's made from fruits and vegetables, you're not going to reap the same benefits as you do when you eat the fruits and vegetables. So that's why I always say, eat it first, chew it up, have it in solid form. If for some reason you need to have smoothies occasionally or if your body requires that you have things kind of pre-digested for you because it helps with your digestion, this is where everyone is different. But if that's the case, then we could definitely do that and we can come up with tricks to help you kind of have that fullness factor. However, if you can chew it up and eat it, then by all means, that should be your first choice. What would you say is better, having those three meals a day or having uh, a bunch of meals but, but smaller portions? It depends upon the person. Okay. So some people do better with three meals a day. Some people do better with five to six. Some people do better with fasting where they only have you know, one meal a day or two meals a day. It's just dependent upon your age and where you are in life in terms of your health and kind of your lifestyle. And so that's what we do when we work together. We figure out what plan is best suited for your needs. We're going to talk about how you work with people in just a moment, but you mentioned fasting. Let's talk about that because I hear that over and over again. And I wonder how impactful is it? Um, you know, almost like a cleanse. What do you think? You know, I think it can be very beneficial for a lot of people. I, I see it beneficial for a lot of my uh, clients who have digestive issues because it gives them kind of a, like a time period for bowel rest and lets their body kind of calm down for a little bit. But the key to fasting is to do it correctly, which is difficult. 
uh, because you need to still make sure that you're getting enough calories in a day and good quality nutrition in a day, but in a shortened period of time. And for a lot of people, that's where they fall short and their fasting becomes an energy deficient, deficient diet. And so they then become weak and fatigued yeah. and have other problems because they're not getting the nutrition in. So the key is to really figure out a schedule that's going to work for you. And if fasting allows you to feel good, but also to you know, reduce inflammation and meet your daily goal, then that's fine. If it creates a schedule where you can't meet your daily goal of nutrition, then that's going to cause more issue than actually help you in the long run. It's a double-edged sword because I can yes. see, you know, why it's, it's really good to give your digestive system a little rest. You know, we're, I believe we're beating on it every single day with all the garbage that we eat. Mm -hmm. So if you could take that, you know, tap the brakes on that. But at the same time, you want to still have some energy. You want to still feel well. You want to not dread when you're going to do the fasting. Mm -hmm. So, and that's why I guess we would call you to kind of figure out, you know, the best, the best plan for that. Um, let's go to, in the time we have here, and I, I, I'm just, Emily, I'm just throwing stuff at you that, you know, people mention to me or I see alcohol, alcohol consumption. What are your thoughts? How much? Don't ever do it. What do you think? Well, don't get me wrong. I do love my glass of wine at night, um, or my margarita if I'm having tacos or something. So had I'm one, not had one last it. night. <laughs> I'm not going to say that, you know, everyone has to be alcohol free. I can say that in terms of healing the intestine, if you are experiencing any type of distress, then part of that healing process is going to probably require you to abstain from alcohol in the time being, time being because it will impact the kind of health and the um, recovery of your intestinal tract because it does denature the intestine. So if you are in the process of struggling with your gut, then the first thing I would do would be to eliminate alcohol. But consume it in moderation and hydrating your body with water and non-diuretic beverages throughout the day, alcohol can definitely be incorporated into your diet. And then you want to look at what type of alcohol you like and the kind of nutrient value of those. So if it's carb-heavy carb heavy or sugary, then we might want to look at other options that could be healthier for you, like a seltzer with some sort of you know, clear liquid alcohol, mm -hmm. a little bit of sweetener, versus trying to go to something that has a lot of extra sugary components in it. But that's, once again, everyone's different. That's where we have to incorporate food preferences, lifestyle, and current health status to determine what's kind of moderation for you. Wine seems to be so natural. It's the first thing that you mentioned. Would you say that it is actually you know, based on research and there's always you know, changing research on it, on alcohol in general? Um, is wine actually good for you? Well, there, there are some studies uh, where they say that a certain consumption of wine, red wine specifically, mm -hmm. may improve your health. Uh, but if you look at those studies closely, it's a very specific age bracket and it's a very specific amount. Um, and it would probably require someone to consume too much alcohol to really uh, benefit from the resveratrol that they're talking about when it comes to research. But I think everything in moderation is okay and healthy for us. Wine does seem like it feels pretty natural because it's coming from grapes, and you know what's more natural than grapes on a vine? Uh, but at the same time, if you consume too much of it, then that natural food, like anything in excess, can be detrimental. So I think that of all alcohol, uh, it's pretty much on par with its other you know, natural kind of like beer and some of the like vodka and other uh, liquors. Uh, but we still want to make sure that 
we never consume it in excess. And just because it comes from grapes on a vine doesn't give us the free-for-all to do that. You offer so many different services from food sensitivity testing, the customized meal plans, which we talked about before, uh, and so much more. If somebody wants to really start changing their life and get a grip on what they're putting into their body, how does it begin? Do you have a free consult? Yes. So we offer a complimentary session that's about 20 to 30 minutes long where you get to speak with myself um, or any one of our other dietitians, and we discuss how we can help you. What are your health goals? What are you looking to achieve? And what's best suited to meet your needs? And that way you have a really good understanding of how we work. You get to know us a little bit, and you get to know what your options are on a financial scale, but also on just a nutrition intervention scale. And you can make then a very well-educated decision as to whether or not you want to work with us and what best suits your needs at that time. And then what's so unique about our programs, you brought up the food sensitivity testing, but we also offer other specialized tests. And we use that data to help us really create a personalized plan for each client. So it's not just a one-stop shop where you come see me and I give you a blanket diet that I give to everyone else. We really look at your personal data to determine what you need, and then we apply that to your lifestyle needs to make it truly your own intervention. What I love about you, Emily, is you get right to the point. You are very specific, very strategic, very detailed, and I think we need that. It's you know, it's like you're the whip crack, cracking at us and showing us what we need to get done to feel better. And like we said at the beginning, most of us don't realize that it could be food. And I'm going to say probably is the food that you're eating that's giving you a lot of issues. And not, well, not just digestive issues, but even like you said before, even challenges with, with skin can be traced back to food. Uh, what's your website? It's LuxfordNutrition.com. And Luxford is L-U-X-F-O-R-D Nutrition.com. Emily, great having you on here today and learned a lot. And looking forward next time we get a chance to get together. There's so much to talk about. Okay, looking forward to it. See you next time. Yep, we're coming right back. Hang on. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Let's go inside the mind of a 10-year-old. I should have worn those earrings today. I like those earrings. Gabby has those awesome earrings. I need to ask her where she got those, but that's just what she would want me to do. I'll have Michaela ask her for me. Buckle up, Sarah. Yeah, but then Michaela will be like, why don't you just ask her yourself? That's just like Michaela. Sarah, buckle up. Michaela's such a great name. I wish I was called Michaela. There's like a dozen Sarahs in my class. Hey, we're not hitting the road until you buckle up, honey. Oh, yeah, seatbelt. I forget sometimes because my brain is, like, busy, you know? I wonder if there's pizza at school today. Sometimes it can be tough to get through to your kids, but it's not impossible. Always make sure they're wearing their seatbelts, even on short drives. Remember, you have the keys, you have the power. Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup for more information. 